BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Bill Press Show. Happy holidays, and we got a very special holiday program for you today. Great to see. I hope you're enjoying the holidays. We are, uh, and we'll be back, you know, after the beginning of the year with all kind of regular news. Now we want to check up with some very important things of the past year, uh, and namely today, the huge success of the what turned out to be the year of the woman uh, and women candidates, women grassroots activists, propelling Democrats to a huge victory in the House of Representatives this year, and joining us to talk about all the success of the year and the issues that women were running on. Uh, let's start with Rachel O'Leary Carmona, who is the Chief Operating Officer for the Women's March. Yes, the Great Women's March still continues. We keep telling people that. Hi, Rachel. It's nice to see you. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Good. Thank you. Uh, and with us from People's Action, the Interim Legislative and Policy Director, Jessica Juarez-Scruggs. Hi, Jessica. Hi, it's nice to be here. Good to see you, too. So this really was, Rachel, the year of the woman, wasn't it, in mm-hmm. terms of, I mean, it, so, it was. But let, 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 in fact, let me back up. January 21, 2017. Right. The year of the women. Right. The March, rather, the, the Women's March in Washington, mm-hmm. the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very much there, as was my <laughs> wife, Carol. We had 15 people from California mm-hmm. camping with us that night, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, including our daughter-in-law and our granddaughter. And right. it was a huge, huge success. But right. it never stopped, did it? It did not, no. We have continued That's so exciting. March on to equality. And one of the things that I think was so cool about the midterms is how many of the women who ended up winning elective office, whether that was at a federal level or a local level, who specifically said, you know, I ran because of Women's March. I ran because I was so inspired that day. And we know that um, tens of thousands of women ran. We know that hundreds won on the federal level. Um, I think in the biggest win since uh, House margin since Watergate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's nothing short of um, astounding. And I also think it's, um, you know, it's a marker that women are placing on the ground and saying, um, you know, we will not stand for the types of assaults on our rights and, and assaults on our persons and our being um, that began, certainly didn't certainly didn't begin with the Trump administration, but began um in a in an unprecedented way um, to become federal policy, um, you know, and I think that um, it's been really exciting that so many women have been um, completely clear on that and saying this is this is a part of this movement we're in. Yeah, what were some of the issues that these women that propelled women to get actively involved in politics? I think it was across the board. I mean, we we saw um, first from the this is. Uh, you know, from the candidates that that we worked with, that came from from our the communities where where we serve, we saw housing bubbling. We saw healthcare for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so many people responding to the Supreme Court, to to the Kavanaugh hearings. So many folks worrying about, you know, do they have clean water um, in their homes? Do they have a home that they can afford? Do they have a job where um, they're treated with dignity, where um, they know that they'll be able to raise a family and actually spend time with their children? I mean, I think that we're we're responding. Women are responding to the crisis that we're that mm-hmm. we're facing. That you cannot um, live a full and dignified life in this country right now um, for for millions and millions of Americans, and that's why people are standing up and saying, you know, I, I have to get mm-hmm. active. And what was what was exciting to me is that that people recognize just not just women, women and men, so many um, that pol- politics was the arena in which they could bring about change. Mm-hmm. At, at some level, not not mm-hmm. all becoming candidates, but mm-hmm. just getting involved and not walking away from the mm-hmm. political move, which you know sometimes can get you down. Right. <laughs> but they, they were inspired to really jump in and get right. involved. Right, and I think I think the thing that's important to remember is that of all of the thousands of people who are running and, and elected and things like that, there's a whole electoral like team behind them. And so it's certainly the candidate and all of those things, but it's also the people who are running the different aspects, the field programs, the canvas, the fundraising, all of those things. And what that demonstrates is that our movement, I know people see women marching or women, you know, rallying and things like that and they go, well, you know, that's great. But that's the visible part of the work. The the part of the work that is so critically important and that is going back to communities is the uh, skill building and the training and the strategizing. And um, it's those skills that we see um, that are being taken from big rallies and big moments and taken back to so the, the people who were at your house camped out, for example. Um, you know, perhaps they, uh, you know, learned something in the in the um you know, the execution of the march that they took back and they said, you know what was really cool that they did Mm. there that Mm -hmm. I would love for us to do in this community and then it spreads and it becomes a decentralized movement that is just greater than the sum of its parts because it's all about the best things that everybody has to add wherever they are at. Mm -hmm. And it really kind of um, aggregates the cognitive surplus that women certainly, but progressives have um, into a blue wave, a women's wave, you know, yeah. that couldn't be stopped in November. Jessica, People's Action is a grassroots organization. You're involved in how many states now? About 30. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And training, recruiting people, training people, what kind of skills? Yeah, I mean, we're a community organizing network. Our, our sort of roots date back to the to the 1970s. Um, we've been doing community organizing for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, but mm-hmm. I will say that, you know, even in the last five years, I've seen a major shift of people who you know knew how to throw, do an action, knew how to run a campaign, mm-hmm. but didn't think of, of politics, didn't think of electoral politics as a field of struggle. And that has really, really shifted in a really important and powerful way. Um, so yeah, we're training candidates, we're training folks to run, um, as Rachel was saying, they're in the field to do the van, to hit, mm-hmm. get out on the doors. And we're trying to do electoral politics differently. We call them movement politics. So mm-hmm. not just popping up for an election and then, you know, building this huge infrastructure and then dismantling it and going away until the next election, but really mm-hmm. building on relationships that are years and decades long in communities and continuing that and then just continuing as the day after election. It's about, okay, how do we govern together? And yeah. speaking of organizations like this, one of the little tidbits that I always think is um indicative of where we were at is that the day before the elections 
minivan, which is an app that people could use on their phone to canvas and to text and call, oh, crashed. What is it? Yeah. Mini- minivan. Minivan. Yeah, that was not minivan. great. Minivan. <laughs> cra- oh. Because so many people were downloading it that it crashed, mm-hmm. um, which just lets you know, not great on one hand, but on the other <laughs> side, unbelievable but, that so many people would want to use it that it actually just couldn't even bear the support of everybody who wanted to be involved that day. No, yeah. I mean, that's right. It's sad, but it's a good sign, right? right? The, about the, mem- the momentum and the energy, right, uh, the people out there. To what extent was Donald Trump the factor here, the main factor in uh, was there? A, is it, can we con- attribute this to a Trump bump, kind of? What do you think? I think yes and no. I think what the train wreck of the last two years has done for a lot of people, at least that I've seen, is help them politicize private struggles. So that the fact that you couldn't, you know, that every month was a struggle to make rent or that you faced incredible you know, racism in the criminal right. justice system. That was, for a lot of folks, a private struggle. Mm-hmm. And then the way that Donald Trump has emboldened white nationalism, the way that Donald Trump has moved just violent misogyny into the mainstream mm-hmm. has helped, I think, a lot of people to connect the dots, mm-hmm. that this isn't just something that's happening to me. Right. This isn't something that's just my my burden to bear, but that it that is actually something that requires a new level of act- action right. from all of us. So in that sense, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I think any woman who's ever looked over her shoulder in a parking lot and wondered, is he following me, is politicized. I think that, you know, any woman who's ever feared for her safety or for the safety of her kids, um, who's ever wondered if the water that she's drinking is safe to drink, who's ever been profiled, um, you know, at school because she's had her hijab taken off or, you know, any of these things. But I think Donald Trump was the first time that we ever saw um, the level of personal, of open personal prejudice and white nationalism become translated into public policy. And because of his violence first rhetoric, not only, um, you know, from in, in international policy, but certainly in domestic policy and the campaign promises that he made that were so predicated on um, the just direct harm to communities. Um, I think it did, I think it led to a moment of um, activation that got people um, engaged, but it certainly wasn't the beginning. I think it was just a gigantic tipping point um, because it certainly won't go away, you know, if 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 um, Trump leaves office. And I think that that's something that we have to grapple with as an organization that some or as an organization as a country mm-hmm. that we have not effectively grappled with is um, all of these things were present you know, for us before Trump. And they're going to be present after Trump, except what he's done is dragged all of this laundry out of the closet into the front room. And so how are we, as a nation, going to deal with who is going to demonstrate the leadership necessary to get us through these moments um, of deep, not only turmoil in terms of the things that have been um, <coughs> given root over the last few years in terms of white nationalism, in terms of misogyny, but also in terms of demographic shifts that actually are changing, you know, the makeup of our country. And right now, I have hope for the incoming, uh, you know, group of um, Congress and particularly in the House. But right now, I see an abdication of that leadership at the federal level. And I think it's um, 
it's 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 a crisis. I think we're at a crisis moment. But as you mm-hmm. point out, it's going to be different next year. Like really different. It will be very next different next year. year. I have hope for Particularly that. Particularly in the house. I think it's mm-hmm. so exciting. I mean. Even just in the training right now that they're going through the typical IOP training at Harvard and mm-hmm. um, that they're even calling that out. Um, and it's just insane that there are lobbyists who are not, who's, who's um, you know, uh, organ- or, or corporate ties are not being, um, are not transparent on the thing. And then there's no, you know, organizers, there's no local people, there's no counterbalance or whatever. And I think that demonstrates demonstrates that that's one of the things that demonstrates exactly and I say this as, as a as a Kennedy School grad so I feel like I can <laughs> they've got enough of my money that I can say this um, you know that it demonstrates exactly how deep and insidious this bias um, is in our government and I'm glad they're calling it out yeah no they've been they have not uh, been shy uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, making their points made as mm-hmm. once they, once they come here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the exciting things that's shifting. It's starting to shift at the in the house I see it and I think it's starting to shift at the local level all over the place is there's now enough folks who really come from low income communities, come from communities of color who have lived these struggles and are now in government and in in an ability to legislate um, that there's a almost a cohort, right? Mm-hmm. It, it that was not the case. In, there were like a, one or two folks mm-hmm. um, in the house, and now there's a whole group, and there that that creates some support, and yes. um, that's one of the th- things that we're really thinking about in 2019 and 2020 is that we have some really amazing candidates who won, who won because they knocked on everyone's door, because they ran with bold progressive ideas, because. They, you know, really came from their communities, but sometimes they're coming into a legislature where there's they're the only one, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, yeah. and so mm-hmm. and they don't even have anyone who's going to want to show them where the bathroom is without, you know, right. trading a favor. Right. And so how do we help those folks continue to stay connected to the communities that elected them mm-hmm. to not get kind of pulled into that insidious soup um, and and to kind of create a, a progressive mm-hmm. cohort, right? Yeah, but this time you've got so many again, particularly women and and women of color, at in the House, but also in the state legislatures, mm-hmm. right. in the city councils. I mean, right. as you said, thousands ran, you know, um, right. Of, that's right. up up and down the line, right? That's right, absolutely. And, and that's so important, first of all, for our communities today, but also. Tomorrow, just to mm-hmm. build a bench and get people into and walk and come up the ladder. And, um, right. Uh, and, uh, and the things that are ailed, the federal difference. government, are not going to be fixed overnight. They're not going to be fixed in a matter of years. And so when we're thinking about how are we, how are we protecting ourselves and building power in communities, it is going to be at the local level. And, and if you think about how the Tea Party started, I think they, I'm, I'm fairly certain they started, um, I mean, not maybe at the very beginning, but with judgeships all over the mm. country. So I read, I think I read somewhere that they were, they, you know, just dumped unprecedented amounts of money into judgeships. And then later on, when they were doing things that then had to, the, you know, legality of them had to be decided, then, oh, look, all the judges that they put in <laughs> were already in place. What a coincidence. Right. You know, and so part of, part, that's how they built power. People forget about the importance of judgeships. Okay, yes. The right wingers don't. Yeah, right. The evangelicals don't. Mitch McConnell doesn't. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and so, and they had it all stacked. That's you know? our whole agenda. That's right. And that's true. They had a long-term agenda. I mean, they, if we, this is one of the things that Good we do point. when we Good talk point. to yeah. our, our communities. We talk about the long-term agenda. We talk about the Powell memo. We talk about mm-hmm. how over a decade they built a plan. And that's why we have a long-term agenda. And that's mm-hmm. why we're trying to think in decades and trying to think about how what are the stepping stones that get us there? How do we build power that lasts? I mean, I think we saw... There were some there were some tough losses this this mm-hmm. you know um, mm-hmm. electoral cycle as well, 
but I draw a lot of hope and 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 you know optimism from um, the folks in, for example, Kansas People's Action had fought Chris Kobach for mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. many years mm-hmm. and lost, you know, really tough, mm-hmm. tough, tough battles with him. And, you know, he's not the governor of Kansas. <laughs> and that was because grassroots organizing works, right. but it takes time. And, and even in with 20 days, he'll no longer be the secretary <laughs> of state of Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> I'm positively giddy. Even in the losses, though, you know, whether we're talking about Texas or we're talking about Georgia, we're talking about Florida. Yes, the specific losses happen. And my God, did they hurt that night? Yes. But the electorate has been expanded and I don't think that goes away. It doesn't go. And so mm-hmm. when we're talking about losses, one of the things that we had to grapple with, you know, the last time I was here actually was during the middle of the Kavanaugh hearings when we were leading yeah. all of the protests mm-hmm. and things. And everyone said, well, this must be a really hard loss for you to take. And I actually was like, I don't I don't feel like it's a loss. We trained tens of thousands, probably pushing 15,000 women in direct action from all across the country. And they went back home and they were replicating those actions and they were pushing not only on, on Brett Kavanaugh, but on other issues now since then. And one of the things that I think is not necessarily known is that after um, the Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill affair, Anita Hill went on to advocate for laws that we enjoy, the the protections that we enjoy in the workplace right now are due to her advocacy. And so what can be taken as a loss on a, on a you know, a viewpoint of six weeks or, or even six months on a time horizon of six years or a decade, you can see immense amounts of power building that have happened. Um, and, and so I don't. I, I am not disheartened. Um, of course, I want to work harder, but I'm also not disheartened by the losses that we have taken. Right. Uh, among the candidates that you worked with or supported uh, or whatever, who who are the, particularly among the women now, who are the emerging rock stars or <laughs> leaders that, I mean, you know, obviously, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, everybody, there's just so much buzz surrounding her. But there, there are others, too. Who, who are you kind of looking forward to kind of hearing that we'll hear more about either either of you. Um, well, there's so many. It's hard to I choose. Know. But I, I, one that comes springs to mind for me um, is Angela Conley in Hennepin County in Minnesota. Um, so she's the first black woman to be elected at the county level. Um, she comes hmm. out of Take Action Minnesota, which is a People's Action member organization. Um, and she comes out of their political healers program, which is this really beautiful and inspiring program that was um, created by Enrique Aguilar and the Women of Color Table at Take Action Minnesota, and it combines the kind of roles that that women, particularly women of color, find themselves in often of caring for the community, right, and creating, um, pulling pulling us together in those moments of crisis, right, and it really creates um, a so space for that. She's a state senator, a new state so, senator. She, no, she's a county commissioner. So county she's, commissioner. Hennepin in, County is the most populous oh. county in in. Minnesota, and Minnesota. she's going to have the chance to really affect. She's like lived that. She's lived in the county. She's experienced struggles in that county. She's connected to a community of women who are, you know, excited to support her and excited for her leadership. And she was inspired to run because of that community and the strengths that that they gave her. Right. And so seeing that that spirit of political healing and of how do we heal our communities, how do we be, go beyond a Band-Aid and really create healing and create a new way of being. Um, I'm just so excited to see her take, take They're that. They're important jobs, county yeah. commissioners, mm-hmm. county mm-hmm. supervisors. You know, look at Los Angeles County, the Board of Supervisors in Los Angeles County, mm-hmm. enormous power. Absolutely. Yeah, There's right. going to be some fun races coming up there, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who are your uh, heroes? I mean, I really like... Um, 
what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing, and I also like Rashida Tlaib for the same reason, in that they are bringing transparency. Mm -hmm. So basically that they're like live tweeting and that they have been, you know, kind of um, really shining a light on the process of actually what does it look like to transition into this role and now I'm picking insurance and now I'm going to this training that, wow, this training is a little... <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. not what we expected. And I think that they are being attacked um, not only for their identity um, and particularly um, Rashida Tlaib on that um, point, but but particularly because they're bringing in transparency um, and therefore accountability into a place that has been very opaque. Um, you know, once once folks have been elected, then they have really stopped being accountable to the people and they started being accountable to the interests and the donors that, that got them there. And so because there's a group, I believe, because there's a group of, of people who have kind of taken the, the um, small dollar donors, you know, path, there, it creates a different accountability and um, and creates a different opportunity for transparency into a government that has become completely incomprehensible to most people in the country. And I think one of the things that struck me during Kavanaugh, it's the thing that's striking me right now in this process, is that um, the many of the representatives um, and senators have just simply stopped doing what it is their core um, job duty to do when you think about this you know we think about it almost as an anointing but if you think about it they're doing a job and their main job is to represent people and they just they're How radical yeah right and and um, they don't <laughs> you know they don't listen they don't represent many of them um, are pushing legislation that a majority of people do not support for example the attacks on Roe v. Wade or things health care for all it has all kinds of, of popular support and yet because it's not in the interest of their donors and their special interests they are choosing to go another way with it and so I think that they're creating a level of visibility and accountability that's going to be very dangerous for some of those folks in Congress. Right. So we're talking with Rachel O'Leary Carmona from the Women's March. I see here cancelkavanaugh.com. Is that still operative? Uh, it was womensmarch.com will be the best one. That was our okay. uh, Cancel Kavanaugh site. <laughs> <laughs> womensmarch.com. The Women's March continues. Women are still marching and running for office and winning office yes. and now, uh, to a large extent, running our communities. Uh, and Jessica Juarez Scruggs from People's Action, which is peoplesaction.org. Org. Mm -hmm. So, um, what happens now? Mm -hmm. I mean, people. It, you, you alluded to this earlier. Politics sort of has its ups and downs, yeah. and the problem is, uh, has been used to be at least for Democrats. You know, turn out for the presidential elections, but then not for the midterms. These yeah. midterms broke that tradition. Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. but now, right? It's can it, can you keep the movement? Going and I think that you're right. The movement is what really counts. It's right. not getting excited every four <laughs> years or every no, two. not right. at all. Yeah. Right. yeah what no, do you the, think? I think the work. I mean, for our organizations, they're all deeply based in com the communities where they are located, right? And so these are folks that that the problems that the communities face are not going away. The challenges not even slowing remain. down. Yeah. Yeah. So we are absolutely excited to start, um, you know, <laughs> moving policy change in all of those communities um, and continuing the fights that were going on before Election Day mm -hmm. um, in terms of everything from healthcare, housing, 
um, water contamination, energy justice, climate justice, and uh, criminal justice reform. All of that is happening at every level of government. Um, and the other thing is we, you know, we, unfortunately, as much as it makes me want to put my head in the sand, 2020 is coming. <laughs> um, and, the, and you know, for, for decades, there's been the money primary, right? Where a handful of millionaires right. and billionaires get to decide who are the viable candidates are. And we are mm -hmm. absolutely not on board with that being how we narrow this mm -hmm. crazy field of whatever 50 people mm -hmm. to <laughs> to a <laughs> reasonable mm -hmm. number. Um, you know, we want we want the people to be doing that. And so we are also going to be out on the doors, talking to folks in the community, finding out what um, what issues are are at the top of their list, building that out. And because we want the candidates to have to come to us this mm -hmm. year. We're not content to allow a few a few donors to narrow the field and choose who they think will will, will represent their interests because that's not mm -hmm. <laughs> that's not what we're on board for. So we're also going to be doing that and, and beginning those conversations all over the country. By the way, you mentioned the fundraising uh, race, but this has really changed the face of politics, hasn't yes. it? I mean, um, I was a big supporter of Bernie Sanders in the 2016 primary. $27 average donation. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, $237 million, yeah. I think, all from small donations. Yeah. Beto O'Rourke did the same thing same in thing. Texas mm -hmm. this year. Mm -hmm. So it has enabled people who, That's right. before who could not That's right. And it opens up. up opportunities then for people who are from, if you don't have to, if, if the, you know, the minimum ante is, is not... 1,500 or 15,000, yeah, yeah. it enables people, specifically people from black and brown and impacted communities to get involved in um, ways that we have not been able to get involved before. And so for us, um, while we, you know, we're kind of, a, we're a newer organization, we're, we're a startup, even though we, you know, we're at a global scale. And so we've got both the strengths and the challenges of both of those things. <laughs> um, but we, you mentioned earlier that, you know, about organizations um, with a long-term plan. And for us, we are focusing on actually a shorter term plan. And we're saying we know that our partners in the field are, you know, kind of putting together um, something longer. But we are putting together something that we're calling the women's agenda. And we're going to be rolling that out in January. And part of that agenda is going to be a policy platform with 10 different areas, very similar to what you're talking about, climate justice, mm -hmm. racial justice, criminal justice, all of the intersections that, you know, are, are disproportionately impact women. Um, but everything that we have on that agenda is going to be actionable in two years. Mm. And if and it's literally an agenda and we're going to put it in front of every elected official. It's going to have um, they're all going to be national policy asks if we're going to translate it in the next few months to the local level. And it's their agenda. It's their work plan. And if they're not on this work plan, we will they're on our list. And mm. it doesn't matter what side of the aisle they are on. It doesn't matter what's happening. If they're Dems, we will primary them if they are not you know, in line with women's rights and equality of people, our allies, people of color, people from impacted communities, indigenous folks, queer folks. And, um, and yeah, and we intend to put every bit of influence that we have behind that plan. And that is our work plan as a movement, um, you know, for the next two years. And if folks can't, you know, get it done, we're going to get people in there who can. All right. Uh, and so you're really building toward 2020, right? You want to see some action before 2020, and basically That's judge right. judge people according to That's right. their support or the, what they've done to impact 
to bring that agenda about. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of the we, things that the Trump administration has showed us is, is exactly how fast ch- you know change can move. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica, you mentioned healthcare a couple of times. Mm-hmm. It, it it's it. I find it very exciting and 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 in a sense surprising, but that. Donald Trump and the Republicans managed to do what Barack Obama never did, which is make health care, particularly Affordable Care Act, <laughs> popular. Uh-huh. I mean, people, mm-hmm. w- once you put to the test, people say, no, mm-hmm. we like it. We want that protection for our families, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's critical. And we're seeing in, in 2018, um, we focused on 18 um, races at the House level. Um, particularly the healthcare team, we focused on mm-hmm. like forty something uh, nationwide. Yep. But uh, eighteen of those races of folks who voted to repeal the ACA, who voted to take away care, um, and you know, thirteen of those folks are not in Congress anymore. If you look at the photo <laughs> of of yeah. you know the the planning team, you can just <laughs> sort of X yeah. people off. Um, you know, this was a very you know real issue to folks because it's their families' lives on the line. And this mm-hmm. is the thing: is we don't win elections, we don't work to win elections for fun. Mm-hmm. This is about creating change in people's lives. This is about passing policy. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, we don't want you to be in office just because it's fun to hear you talk. Mm-hmm. We want people to actually create change in people's lives, and that we need that transformative change, which means we need to actually get things done. And you know, obviously, at the federal level, we're still facing some significant challenges, um, but mm-hmm. the state and local level, we're gonna move. Mm-hmm. pieces that, that really change people's lives. And we're looking for, for action on the federal level, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and come January 3rd, sort of this one, one of the, maybe one of the biggest symbols of, of what's happening is that come January 3rd, um, a woman will be a speaker of the House of Representatives, mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi, mm-hmm. which is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think she's shown um, that um, uh, what an effective leader she is, mm-hmm. uh, and that women can do this job and stand up to anybody else, stand up to Donald Trump or mm-hmm. stand up to Mitch McConnell mm-hmm. and really represent the American people, which I think is um, mm-hmm. going to be very exciting mm-hmm. in, in terms of what you're working on the movement and be very supportive of that and sort of show the success yes. with that. Right. And, right. and maybe even in 2020, we'll right. put a woman in the White House. Yeah, <laughs> that would be great. I mean, I think what it demonstrates is that women are at the front lines of this resistance in this moment in time that we're in, yep. um, which is such a dark moment, you know, for our for our yep. country. Um, and what it demonstrates is women are really the bulwark against, you know, the rising tide of white nationalism and fascism, really, that, yep. you know, that, yep. that we're really threatened with. And yeah. thanks in part to the great work that you've been doing <laughs> and your organization. So let's tell you again, it's womensmarch.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rachel Larry Camona, thanks so much. Thank great you. to see you. Thanks, uh, Jessica Juarez Scruggs with People's Action, peoplesaction.org. Oh. So keep up the good fight. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank uh, you. And uh, enjoy the rest of your holidays. <laughs> uh, we'll be back with a more special programming here on the Bill Press Show. This is the Bill Press Show.